Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the 1989 Batman film, directed by Tim Burton and starring Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome into episode 167 of Film Tank. Again, I am Alex Diekman, along with the usual co-hosts and friends, Nick Cheney. Hey. And Toussaint Egan. Hey. Oh. Wonderful. Just happy to be here. Yeah, me yes. too. Good. I think we're It's gonna... always fun here at Film Tank. I think hey. so. Well, <laughs> let's not go that far. It's 75% fun here at Film Tank. That's about right. The episodes where Tucson is on are fun. Oh. The, the, other epi- <laughs> the other episodes are... The other 100 episodes. The other... <laughs> Just the other episodes... <laughs> He's doing math. The other episodes are actually good, <laughs> and then the episodes that Tucson are on are fun. So... Ooh. Ooh. See, like that? Backhanded compliment? Huh? Ooh. Huh? Snap. You motherfucker. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. You are. <laughs> wow. What a dick. Come with the assist. Sort of. Yeah. So, today, uh, we are going to hit on a very important film in the childhood of both myself and Toussaint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys were fucking... We were mind melding. Yeah, it was muscle memory between us. I want to describe the scene as a third party person, really quick. But so the three of us watched Batman, the nineteen eighty nine film, without getting any details about the movie itself or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Right now, all three of us had seen it, though. Like even I had at least watched it once or twice before. So we all watched it. I don't know if it was alcohol or whatever, but I'm sitting there and I am enjoying myself. (laughs) But Tucson and Alex were like. Basically trading off lines. <laughs> like, if one person wasn't going to say whatever line was currently being said, then the other person would say it. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, uh, it was kind of insane to watch. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, I was just kind of blown away by. Like, I there think... are movies myself that I have just as you know memorized, but I was not expecting that level of commitment and uh, and sometimes even just. Mundane. I mean, there were lines that like oh, des- no. deserved that kind of you know whatever. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, okay, you you got you memorized the exposition too. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of just random. Yeah, and I will say I mean, that's what happens when you watch. Something how did I not that. know this? It was who's who's on point? It was like Eckhart. Sorry, oh my god. Okay, when let's go. Let's when go. you're that young though, and you watch because I've had movies like that, oh, and you, and you watched it, repeat, yeah. you know, you break your VHS and whatnot, and it like, forms the, an impression on you. It does. So anyway. Well, the sum I'll compare it to is uh, for you, Nick, and I know I share some of these with you, Steven Soderbergh films, which are very easily quotable. The informant. I was going to say, myself and Nick routinely uh, bring back lines that are super random from The Informant. (laughs) That was me on the fringes when we watched that. I was like, holy uh, shit. But uh, 
Also, too, we do bring up lots of random uh, <laughs> lines from the Ocean's film. I was going to say, I'm probably one of the few people who can do Ocean's 12 from, like, start to finish. Like, you know, I will randomly say, so who's on a $10 bill? <laughs> and then I wait for a room full of people to give me every single wrong answer. Like, you two have this saying where it's like, well, I don't want to. And, and that's that, from Ocean's 13. And, now and just, nobody and now should just, know what that is. And now it's just absorbed nothing. into me, and I like, say it, and I'm just like, I don't even know... Yeah. I haven't even seen the movie. You haven't even seen any of them, actually. No! Which is... It's actually from early on in Ocean's 13 when yeah. Al Pacino is threatening to throw uh, Elliot Gould off a roof, which is, when you think about it, it sounds kind of funny. Yeah. But, uh, Willie Banks. Willie Bank. Oh, sorry. There's no S. Oh, That's boy. okay. Good wow, try. so clearly I'm actually full of shit and I don't know anything. Duh. <laughs> So, Batman, the 1989 Tim Burton film, is what we are going to be uh, focusing on here on this episode. And it is an all-time favorite of myself and Toussaint. Mm -hmm. And I think Nick also quite enjoys this as well. And also, I just want to give a disclaimer. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a slightly different Nick on this podcast. Oh, my God. This is... A lot has happened in the last week. I was going to say, Nick's got himself... (laughs) We'll get into that. Nick's got himself a little Bat Boner. Yeah, Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's in the night. <laughs> so, in addition to being directed by Tim Burton, this film stars Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. I only say that because Jack Nicholson got top billing here, but there you go. Also, Kim Basinger is the main female lead in this film, playing Vicki Vale. And Robert Wool is also in this in somewhat of a major role, playing Alexander Knox. The bizarrely creepy but somewhat helpful newspaper assistant. Yeah. Also in this film, we have Pat Hingle, who plays Commissioner Gordon in a uh, much smaller role than most interpretations. That's the one thing about the '90s Batman Mm -hmm. is that like Gordon just seems like an afterthought in every single. Mm -hmm. He is the only constant across all the incorrect. No, bet- no, between the Burton films and the Joel Schumacher also films. Also incorrect. What are you talking about? Uh, Michael Gough, who plays Alfred no, in oh, all four films. Oh, you're right. Damn it. You are God right. Damn it, Tucson. Yeah, right. No. Nobody. I've just, I've just seen the like... two of them are in both, in all four. Right. That's right. That's true. But yes. Yeah, yeah. But yes, you are correct. Also, Batman's is. in every single one of them. <gasps> Thank you, Nick. How could that be? Uh, in addition to those two, also Billy D. Williams here as Harvey Dent. Although when they created Two Face, they couldn't have a black, so they got rid of him. Oh God! They could have at least I had mean... half black. <laughs> and also, too, a wonderful performance by Jack Palance as Carl Grissom. Mm. Son of a bitch! Remember, you are my number one guy. See, I couldn't hear, hear that line without your lucky hearing... deck. I couldn't hear that line without uh, hearing uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jingle All the Way. You're my number one customer. Tells that to his wife. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Liz. Mmm, <laughs> these cookies are delicious. Oh, Phil Hartman. Why do I know all those lines, anyway? There may be a Jingle All the Way episode in our future. Let's do it. I'm just saying. So the Dark Knight of Gotham City begins his war on crime with his first major enemy, the clownishly homicidal Joker. So. Why didn't you just go with Clown Prince of Crime? Like, that's literally his fucking title. I was like, clownishly homicidal, just, whatever. Yeah. Ah, fuck it. They, they, om- they had it. They almost had it, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It was a good try. Yeah. So me or you, Tuzan, who wants to go first? Um, You go first. I don't go second. Okay. Were you prepared? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Always. Always with this film. Uh, I 
absolutely love the original Batman. This was a very much formative film of my youth. Uh, formed a lot of my likes for film, uh, which is very weird to say about a somewhat I, w- I want to say ahead of its time, but it, it's it's a early superhero film, at least in terms of Hollywood portrayals of superheroes. And I just, when I was a little kid, just ate this up. Now, I will say, part of that definitely was the marketing campaign for Batman, which, if you look back, uh, other than Star Wars, the original Batman marketing campaign was probably the best that's ever been done. I would argue that... Wait, when you say Star Wars, are you talking about the original Star Wars, the OG? Um, or are, I'm just so that way I know. I guess I'm talking about the original trilogy, like that universe. Okay, but the 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 Tim Burton Batman, there was so much surrounding that that you could not escape it, and that's this comes from someone who wasn't even really able to understand that because it was only right. a baby then for the most part. But looking back on history, uh, that was early on a true campaign to have people aware of the brand of Batman. And no, and I, I agree. I mean, you and I watched randomly. We, we never do this, but when we, when I watched Batman 1989 for the first time, I watched it with you. Actually, Mm -hmm. I had seen return, but I never actually watched the original one before. (laughs) And we watched it a few years ago. And then randomly, we never do this. We watched a bonus feature and we watched one of the documentaries about, or featurettes about like the lead up to the release and mm-hmm. like how crazy the buzz was and like the happy meals and the collectible glassware you could get from Burger King or whatever the hell. Just the symbol that it was used for yeah. this Batman On was the fucking everywhere. Yeah. And so just from looking at that, um, I would say this is probably the start of what we now know as like modern franchising of like because at star wars people didn't really know what that was going to be a thing that was more of a word of mouth like the very first one mm-hmm. so considering i guess know, i was meaning more from merchandising which in that, that makes perspective yeah, yeah. because there i had so many toys from yeah. the batman era when i was a little kid i mean i would routinely play with batman and the joker in my bat cave set and it was yeah. just awesome um and that just went hand in hand with the original movie which i watched so many times when i was a little kid which is somewhat inappropriate but at the same time you know there's really not that much over the top there was a lot of stuff back then though with the kind of movies that like yeah, you and i were watching but so. but uh, sex swearing and violence if you really look at this film it there's a lot of undertones but there's no true like there's not a lot of swearing. There's really almost none. I think there may be a couple words here and there. Uh, there was, I think, more than you realize. As someone Son who's of a bitch. very fresh to this movie, I was surprised by how much they swore. And I don't mean because it was so often, but because it was like, I, I think of this movie as something like from the quaint But 80s. if you look at something like X-Men where they say fuck on the regular. Oh, yeah. no. I, I mean, this is pretty tame. Yeah. No, no. I agree with that. I will say, too, though, 1989... That's when PG-13 was in its infancy. So also, oh, yeah. you know, I would think studios had no idea kind of how to do it properly, so to speak. Yep. Um, 
in terms of my love for film and more specifically comic book villains, this is where it all started. Uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker may be one of the best film characters ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that because he's the greatest. And I do think that Heath Ledger gives a fabulous performance as the Joker. For the time he was in, in his career, like that was... I mean, you're talking about a legitimate, like, all-the-way movie star yeah. who just decided to do a role. Now, he got a lot of money for it. Yeah. But decided to do a role like this, uh, and it doesn't really make sense. It's almost like, if we talked about, like, today, it would be like Leonardo DiCaprio playing the role of a major character in a property that has not previously existed. Yeah. Like, it, it would be kind of out of left field. Right. And it was before franchises like this truly existed, so it was really it, uncharted territory, kind of like what Nick was alluding to. For somebody, or no, not for somebody, but for an era like, you know, when this came out, if and for somebody like Jack Nicholson, if he had bombed in a different movie, it would be a bomb. You know, like it's just what it is or whatever, but if he bombed as the clown and prince, like that could have been like, we, we don't see Jack for a decade. And obviously that wasn't the case, which is, uh, he just has a all time villain performance in this film, mostly because, uh, his portrayal of the villain is actually something that you really almost never see, which is this gangster character who continues on with that persona for the most part after he becomes the villain as he's for the most part, the same guy after he becomes the villain, which is almost opposite of what you usually see with modern day villains. It really, it it, it seems like his transformation in the film is less of a transformation, but more of sort of a, a, a catalyst for his already like, present psychosis i was gonna say he's he's almost been he doesn't have any more clamps because he's he's been dead once well and later on we kind of get that symbolically with uh how he returns again and again to putting makeup over his face and i feel like that's if not one of the better visual symbols that that is his that was his mask before he wore his paint Mm -hmm. you know yeah and he just gives a wonderful performance in this film. Uh, also, Michael Keaton is really good as Batman, uh, especially in this first film. I like him in the second, but in this first film, uh, I think he was really paying attention to trying to hit exactly what he was trying to play, as there was a lot of criticism of him being cast as Batman before this movie debuted, and he does a fantastic job. And also, too, uh, there are just so many scenes throughout this film that are wonderful, whether it's the scene in the uh, art gallery. Dude, that, I was just about to say, there are a lot of scenes in film that, that define the 80s, but I don't think there's anything that's quite as quintessentially 80s as the Joker and his gang fucking up the art gallery to the soundtrack of Prince. Yeah. that's. But you know what? The funny thing about this film, though, is that this film has oddly aged really well, mm-hmm. which a lot of films from that era have not, no. which uh, I think just screams volumes about the quality that of that is this film, because this film has, to me, even though I loved it so much as a kid, mm-hmm. has just gotten better as it's gone on. Think about what were the contemporary uh, superhero films at that time. Now, I'm not talking about Superman, because Superman is actually a good movie. I'm talking about there was an era where... 
Hollywood was just probing into the idea of of adapting comic book properties and where they started was with the line between comic book and their pulp predecessors. So you have films like The Shadow that starred um what's his name? He's a guy from 30 Rock. He like impersonates Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin played like the the Shadow and then you have like some other guy who played like the Phantom that I can't remember. Billy Crystal. No, it's not Billy Crystal. No, it's not. Um but those two films in my mind, stick out as like contemporary stuff, and then there's like even the Rocketeer. I was actually just about to say, yeah, though the, yeah. it's it's that that era, kind of that era of, of of superhero. Can we make this work? Right, let's test it in this realm of nostalgia, yeah. almost. Yeah, and, whereas Batman kind of, I wouldn't say it does away with that nostalgia, mm-hmm. but that takes the kind of hard boiled, right? You know, whatever. Uh, but then also thrusts it into a very gritty and modern day, right? Whatever it it it's half, it's half grittiness and it's half the ability to actually realize what these heroes are and what they can do on the screen. Because back in the nineteen eighty nine, you could try to do something like X Men; it would look like dog shit back then. Probably, it's just they were really just this testing the waters back then. Yeah, and I think that is ultimately, I'll close on this from my initial thoughts, is that that is something that I've always gone back to of why I feel like the initial Batman is so great, is because Tim Burton was not allowed to make a movie that Tim Burton wouldn't usually make. Yeah. I think that's really important because there's nothing wrong with a director wanting to complete his vision. No. But at the same time, um, there is something to be said about taking criticism from other people about mm-hmm. your product. And and yet you... this wouldn't be what it is without his attention. To no, of course no. I mean, and there's plenty of Tim Burton within this, yeah. but we've seen what a Tim Burton Batman film would look like, yeah. and it is not this. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's what made this such a great superhero film, is this was obviously a collaboration, and even if it was people telling him, you can't do that, you need to do this, um, maybe it should have been. Yeah. And I think it turned into a absolutely wonderful product that um, I've loved since I was a kid, and I'll love until I'm in the grave. So, right. Uh, like moving on. Tomorrow. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a bummer. <laughs> okay, so a little bit of solemnity here. I cannot think of of a film that has probably been more influential on me as a person i just want to say before you go any further yeah that at the end of this episode if you give this movie on this podcast a rating other than the one you just gave it on letterbox i will i will stab you <laughs> so, continue this this film um this is the definition of what toussaint has talked about oh, with I, yeah I pretty much fully this, understand this, that this, this film and yet that wouldn't stop him from being like no, no. two and a half no 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 that's not gonna happen today it's that's not happening today dear listener um this film uh i feel a very deep spiritual connection to just because it's not even uh it's not even a in, in a in a connection to Batman explicitly. Like this was, to my memory, my first introduction to Batman, analogous to that of the the Batman animated series, which was which would not exist in in its form were it not for the Tim Burton uh, Batman film. But I'm saying this because it has informed almost everything that I love, like earnestly. Um, 
in 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 terms of aesthetics and in terms of mood and in terms of like set design. I was like, going to say there's so much more about cinema in this film than right. there is just about superheroes. Right. This this film to me is on par with that of Gattaca, and you've if you've listened to our Gattaca episode, like you know how much that film means to me. And so when I put it aside, that 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 means something. Like I'm I'm not just blowing smoke out of my ass. And and we have recently rewatched it, so I'm able to stand by that re that rewatch and and say that yes, this is something that I would put in a canon of like Tucson films. Like this is like one that's very much dear, near and dear to me. But of all the things that I enjoy about this film, from it being like. Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson's casting to Danny Elfman's iconic like Batman theme, which just like dominates the entirety of the character. The, 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 the footprint of this film throughout pop culture and especially within like the canon of, of Batman cannot be, be understated. But what really stands out to me is the set design and the architecture by Anton First who actually was one of the people who worked on uh, Full Metal Jacket. He actually won an oh. he actually won an Academy Award for Batman for his set design for this and it's just As he should. Yeah, and and and, and I, I I was looking up a couple of um, a couple of notes and interviews by him. It's like when you see like the actual film itself like Sam Ham's original script for the film described the look of Gotham as hell erupted through the pavement and built a city. That's literally like if that's a prompt, like that is a fucking hell of no, a prompt is, right the, there. The the the, the, scape, no, the cityscape here always to me felt like superhero Blade Runner. Yeah, and 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 it, it, yeah. It, it, it's the thing. The city hall steps. I mean, um, and that's what it is, right? City hall. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are, there are moments when we cut to places like that where yeah. I'm like, this is so garish, but yeah. in the best possible way. Yes, it's it's. And what's fascinating about it is that he drew so many he, – he drew, drew so much inspiration from the likes of like Fritz Lang and the futurists of that time. And, and even it, it, it goes into like the, the, the costume design where they're wearing like 1940s style like clothing and stuff. It really fixates Batman in being not necessarily an early 20th century like era but in sort of the milieu of that. Like it, it really strikes on what – a lot of the creators of the original like animated series called this otherworldly timelessness about a sort of futurism that is nonetheless sort of like fixated in the past in a sort of idealism, but also my miring that with this um, marrying that with, 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 with this sort of like human depravity that sort of like undergirds that. And I think that is something that has stuck in my mind. It is the reason why I fucking love architecture is the reason I love set design. Like it, it, it can't be over. It can't be overstated. I will say, out of uh, the various properties that I have seen of Batman, uh, I feel like Burton property is the one that maybe best nails the idea that Gotham is stuck in time. Yes, you know, like it, its crime has literally halted its progress mm -hmm. in so many ways, whether it be the architecture or whatnot. Which doesn't mean that the architecture looks bad, no, but that like they are um, literally unable to have progress from moments such as like the the Wayne's murders and you know and they will always be stuck in this uh kind yeah. of snow globe of of picturesque hellscape. It's like Crime Alley, the the place where um Bruce Wayne's like parents were killed, like that hasn't changed since 
the day they died. It's like it's it, it, it it's almost like literally they died and the city just stopped. Well, I mean that, but you see the people who lead this city. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is for the most part Carl Grissom, mm-hmm. and he dies by his successor murdering him. So mm-hmm. there's always somebody in the next seat to just completely take up what the previous right. Um, King was doing, I mean, mm-hmm. for the most part. And also, too, it is very interesting to me that we see a lot of things revolving crime from the very first image of this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, the first scene of this film is one of the more iconic parts of it because it has nothing to do with the plot, which is a very popular way to have your opening scene Mm. but at the same time uh it is just these people basically recreating the original bruce wayne and and almost kind of faking out the audience it's like it's almost mythic such a wonderful slap across the face of like you you know the property you're watching before you've seen it and yet you've never seen it like this before like when you consider when it came back out in 1989 it's not explicitly an origin story which is no. brave for for yeah. its time like it 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 precedes other superhero films after the turn of the century that are just obsessed with trying to like revise I, this this sort of origin point i was going to say for the obviously the you know the Adam West movie came first, but for the first true Batman movie, considering that movie was based on the show, mm-hmm. so for the first standalone Batman film to come out of the gates with not with with having Batman already Batman in the opening scene is kind of a brave and I would say brave and bold yeah. statement. Uh, oh man, these well, Batman jokes. Yeah, yeah they're, um, they're, it's just kind of uh, pretty crazy back. And then. there's really no. I mean, you get the obvious reveal of how his parents' murder goes down, which is important to hold that off until later in the film, yeah. uh, which we'll obviously get to at some point on this episode. But at the same t- yeah, but at the same time, uh, that opening scene is amazing because you have one of the great opening superhero lines of him just saying, I'm Batman. Yeah. And throwing the, the random point where, thug. Like, every movie now has to do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, like, I know, obviously, it's, like, things that were setting the comics, but it it clearly, like, no movie has come after this movie without paying a debt to this one. Right. So. Yeah. Um, those are my initial thoughts, just because there's a lot else I want to go into, but I pretty much, like, stake my claim of, like, why I, I love this film and, you know, for what reason, so. Yeah. Well, boys and girls, this is... We've come a long way. This is Nicholas James Cheney. Social security number four. Please don't do that. (laughs) Doesn't even start with a four. Gotcha. There you go. Um, Psych. (laughs) It's been a weird week for me. I, (laughs) I randomly watched a couple episodes of Batman the Animated Series about maybe just over a week ago. Um, I'm always obviously more into TV than I am into movies, so sometimes that acts as my gateway to certain things and whatnot. Um, And now especially um, the DC Universe app just launched, and I did the seven-day free trial for fun, Mm -hmm. and the HD remasters are on it. Yeah. So I got to actually watch what's going to be on the Blu-ray, and they look gorgeous, by the way. Um, 
But I got to admit, watching a few highlights of that show, something kind of clicked in my brain, and then I just went down a Batman rabbit hole. Um, I think, in general, I prefer Batman in an animated form above all else, Mm -hmm. but my fascination with what I was discovering then did start to spread into every, you know, other facet and uh, version of Batman to the point where I started rewatching things that I've already seen before to reevaluate it because I now like Batman. Yay! This is a full circle moment. It is. And, like, but I'm no stranger to those kind of things no. on this. Uh, I feel like I'm one of the biggest vocalists when it comes to like saying like, oh, I think this is stupid. And yeah. now I love it. Yeah. Because I never want to be a person that's pegged by something I said once mm. and therefore I can't like change my mind. On our opening episode where we gave our initial thoughts about what we like about film other than Tucson because he wasn't here, uh, we discussed horror films and you yep. discussed how you didn't like them and now it is one of your favorite genres oh yeah, yeah. it's, it's yeah. pretty much top three or so if yeah. there's anything that film take has been it's been a time capsule like charting our our the 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 evolution of our respective tastes I, I was gonna say i think it's it's pretty telling that on the first episode or you know multiple episodes nick talked about how he doesn't really like horror movies and I feel like it's been at least 50 episodes since Nick has not worn a Vinegar Syndrome t-shirt I know. for recording. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, it's, Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> Porn and horror. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was that, and then it was anime. You got into anime for yeah, a bit. I'm still into it a little bit, but yeah. yeah. Um, so here we are, and I'll say this. Um, this is probably, from what I've seen, my second favorite Batman movie ever, which my first is that I did rewatch Mask of the Phantasm. And it is fantastic. Vindication. Um, Yeah, you are vindicated, and I absolutely love it. And um, I just feel like that was the worst possible way to introduce myself to the animated series. Because I feel like... That was your introduction? Yeah, i never seen a single episode. So it's like, I didn't, you know, and I didn't like Batman already. You know, Mm -hmm. whatever. So anyway. But I've thoroughly enjoyed rewatching it to the point where now I'm rewatching the good stuff. And I even picked up things like Batman v Superman and whatnot. Jesus Christ. Um, you know, although I will still stand by. Batman's you know, in Suicide Squad if you want to do that to yourself. So. Oh, I, I am because I <laughs> – here's the thing. Amazon did have a Batman Day sale, so I got that DC pack for mm. 25 bucks. That's actually not that bad. I was going to say, value-wise, technically I bought it because I have wanted to rewatch Wonder Woman. I was going to say, two of those are pretty good. I kind of was mildly, morbidly curious to revisit Batman v Superman, Mm -hmm. and I still stand by the fact that Justice League is not the train wreck that people think it is. I rewatched it again recently, and it's not bad. Yeah. um, I mean, it's not, like, (sighs) great, but the idea that it's so far removed from, like, in my opinion, a mediocre Marvel movie, I just don't see it. Okay. That's just Um, I love Batman v Superman. Now, I will say this. The three-hour director's <laughs> cut is horrible. Yeah, I'm not going to rewatch that, but I will watch or rewatch the the uh, the actual the original movie. So here we are, and I'm rewatching Michael Keaton's turn in the very first film, um, and I flat out loved it. I mean, you know, it's not one of my all-time favorite movies, but there's really nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Um, there's so much to love about this, especially now that I'm slightly more in tune with the mythos of the bat himself. But one thing I want to say, because you guys haven't said it before, so I'll just go into new territory for mm-hmm. 
this conversation is yeah. that, I mean, you mentioned it, but mm-hmm. I kind of want to talk about Michael Keaton. Like, that's that's how I'll open up my, or not my, but our general thoughts. Please. I think Michael Keaton is probably my favorite Bruce Wayne slash Batman, hmm. personally. Because he can hit both? Yes, because <laughs> when he's Batman, he's very good. Like, he's... Um, Maybe I prefer somebody who's a little more grizzled, like a Kevin Conroy voice or something like that. But when he's Bruce Wayne, he is very good. And here's what I'll say about that. When he's Bruce Wayne, he is so... like Every time I ever hear people talk about Bruce Wayne in a Batman thing, whether it's a graphic novel, because I read those now, um, or a, uh, a you know a movie or a video game and whatnot, I always hear that Bruce Will, uh, Bruce Will, Bruce Willis, <laughs> Bruce Wayne is a millionaire playboy, you know, charm for days or whatever, and I'm sorry, but most... They come off as very sullen and, and, and yeah. sort of... Like, Batman never seems like he ever takes off the mask in nope. most properties. Yeah. And Michael Keaton is one of the only ones where he is in my opinion, so good at being Bruce Wayne, and yet he doesn't feel like he's playing two different people. Mm-hmm. It's just like he gets this kind of giddiness of being Bruce Wayne that he's able to suppress finally when he becomes Batman. You know, like he doesn't have to put on that act. Because I do agree that, you know, Bruce Wayne is probably the mask, you know, unlike, you know, Batman himself. Yeah. But, you know, the scene like where he's in his mansion during the the party and he sneaks That's up. Great. Yeah, and he sneaks up behind Knox and Vicky Vale and he just does that whole like. It's um, Japanese because they bought. He must be yeah. the leader of the Wicker people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the way he introduces himself as Bruce Wayne, like, I, I can't see a Christian Bale nailing that kind of flippant Mm-mm. attitude. The Christian, uh, first of all, I will say that I think Christian Bale is probably the best. Batman for me. Okay. Because I think that he embodies a lot of what a great superhero is while yeah. at the same time just being a great screen presence as that character. Uh, I think though Christopher Nolan films get super confused when it gets into Bruce Wayne because yes. he has this weird thing where he's like trying too hard but also Christian Bale is trying too hard, so it just ends up being kind of a mess. I'm going to reevaluate all three Nolan films. Uh, I did rewatch Batman Begins and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's mm-hmm. probably like my third or fourth favorite Batman thing now. But mm-hmm. um, And he's actually okay as Bruce Wayne in that first movie, where that's mostly what he has to do, obviously. There's not as much Batman as there is Bruce but Wayne. But the second film is so caught up on him like trying to be this playboy yeah, thing. It's but really I'm sorry, but, and in those second and third films... It's maybe the only Batman property where I watch it and I go, how do they not know he's Batman? Not because he looks like Batman, but because he never fucking stops acting like Batman. And it's just really mm. un- weird. And But I digress. Uh, Michael Keaton in this, though, I, I genuinely think it's a live wire performance that is equal to Jack Nicholson's Joker mm. in a different way. Um, you know, him in the in Vicki Vale's apartment, right? Um, or yeah, the, yeah. Um, when the Joker shows up for her, want to get nuts? Let's yeah. get nuts. What, no, but like when he does that, it's just you know, it's it's kind of endearing because it's that Michael Keaton overacting that I thoroughly enjoy personally. But it also 
kind of feel like he's on his last, you know, nerve and last straw. And obviously what happens, uh, you know, a few moments later in that mm-hmm. scene, just the way they play that whole thing out of, of his realization. I just think he nails every single part of Bat- Batman and Bruce Wayne. That yeah. This is like the true... Uh, he's one of the only people besides like a Kevin Conroy who truly nails the dichotomy between the two of them. Right. I mean, you see, there are even things that I don't think Michael Keaton does on purpose. They just happened to work out mm. in this initial portrayal, which I think is, I think is great, but I also think um, set the tone for a lot of how you progress as a superhero because like you were saying, he doesn't have a true origin story in this film, even though we know the origin right. of Batman. It tells you enough, yeah. Well, at the same time, um, it's okay to keep it somewhat spacey and brief I mean, you only and ambiguous. Huh? You, know, you only have 100 minutes or so, yeah. so or two hours. But and Jack, so, t- so many times Jack, origin stories take over an entire film, even when the film has so much more to do, so that I appreciate that it's more in the fringes. This film is much more about the Joker, too, than it is actually about Batman, which is because they got Jack Nicholson to play that character, so... They pretty much hit the jackpot and had to go to, and also too, they were paying him like seventy. They were after having to pay him like seventy percent of the profits from this film. So this is also, I think, one of the first Batman properties. And somebody can correct me on this if they can. And it's just like, okay, I think that this is actually one of the first Batman properties that explicitly connects the relationship and origin story of Batman and the Joker together. Yeah, so let's just go right for that since we're yeah. here now. Uh, one of the biggest uh, internet slash nerd um, complaints Fuck about em. this film. Can I just get it out? Sorry, or not? Yeah. Okay. Is that Fuck the Joker's uh, persona, which is Jack Napier, which first of all, a plenty of internet people would say that the Joker doesn't have an actual background, so whatever. Uh, I mean, only the killing joke has ever really showed anything... Definitive? I would think, right? Um, I mean, only... Okay, I'm not saying that it's the air only quotes, thing... Air, air quotes around definitive. That's what I mean. Like, as far as people cite it as a story to read yeah. and whatnot. So, like, that's the only time I genuinely recognize a pre-clown paint. Sometimes I remember it one way. Other days I remember it another way. It's just like, if I want to have a past, I'd rather have it be multiple choice. Yeah. At any rate... um, I am always a very big proponent of when you get into a different medium than you previously have, your story needs to adapt to it. And I think this is a perfect example of doing that, is that uh, in reality, if you just look at the Batman story and the Joker being his arch nemesis, uh, it really does just make sense that he's the one who actually killed his parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And in this story, it really, really works. And um, it, it just, it just, um, there's something iconic about that scene when he remembers back and then the smile that that, and I don't know who that actor is, the guy who's playing the younger Jack Napier. He's good. But there's just something about the smile he puts on when he pulls the gun and gets ready to shoot young Bruce Wayne uh, that's just like creepy and, and just awkward that this has been going on for so long. But it really works for 
the Gotham that Tim Burton and this you know film crew established that this is really just a continuation that will continue on for the rest of time. And you mentioned that Gotham is stuck in time, right? Because they're just going to keep doing the same things over and over, even as people die off. Like it's just going to be the same regimes. And it, it, it is it's something a, it's that, that otherworldly time timelessness and like the 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 reenactment of of the sort of like reenactment of the events the, the fake out opening the the fake out opening is like it's it's like a mythic reprise of that same sort of like but yeah. the but, difference is there's a Batman now right and that's what's kind of weirdly touching about that scene once yeah. you know I mean once you've seen it once you know what's happening yeah. already mm-hmm. so once you just have the whole context as to like. No matter how hellish Gotham is, it's still kind of better off. It had to happen to somebody so that it would never happen again to somebody else. And also, too, uh, there is something about the reversal of the uh, Joker slash Jake Napier's walk-off murder line Mm. of have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Oh, yeah. As Batman says that to him as he breaks in on the Joker literally dancing with Vicky Vale... Uh, in the moonlight on top of a church, which I don't think is an accident. Uh, but at any rate, um, I love that part of the storyline. I will never be convinced that that was a bad move. That is such a wonderful way to connect the two characters in this specific story. And if people want to get bent out of shape about it, fuck them, just like Jusson said. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say two things about the joker batman connection in this property which is that a i find it extremely disheartening that it's comic book fans and i'm not saying any one person in particular but that collective body of people that would get so upset about something like a revision of history when from what i understand my very limited exposure that's what comics are it is just putting the same things in the sandbox and reenacting different scenarios over and over and over and I, I so the idea that that would be so bad I don't know it's um, like it's like somebody who's eating out of a child plate and they decide to put the peas where the the mashed potatoes usually go and I was like no yeah. it doesn't go that way and I'm just like but these are literally the same elements we just switched them up a little bit no and some of the weakest things I've seen in the past week when I've been watching some new Batman stuff have been some of the animated movies, which I've enjoyed, but that have recreated too faithfully of uh, what the graphic novel was. You know, when you're doing panel for panel, then what's the point? You know what I mean? You already you're just doing a Gus Van Zandt psycho remake yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing I was going to say, though, is I'm with you, uh, Alex, on that. I absolutely love the... You know, the origin-esque story of of Batman being tied into the Jokers, whatnot. And I love it because of the fact that Batman's origin story is not tied to Joker's origin story. That is not the night that Jack became the Joker. So it still rings true as this random, senseless act of violence. And I think that would be cheap if it somehow turned that into a mythic night. You know, like if that's the night that the two of them went off and went their separate ways. But as it stands, it's it's almost more fucked up that even before Jack became the Joker... He was always a monster. He was just an asshole. I mean, a monster, yeah, but also he was just no different than the other, you know... Grunts. Yes, on Crime Alley, doing what they had to do to either survive or just to, you know, push people Uh, over. I will say, uh, and this is... Not a damnation of 
Nolan films, but uh, it is a much different tone than the Nolan films, which created Batman in this I can never kill people because then I would be going against that. Oh, yeah, this Batman doesn't give a fuck. Uh, this Batman, before he knows that Jack Napier murders his parents, has no problem dropping him into a fucking vat yeah. of chemicals. And Did he drop him, though? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, now. He, I thought he accidentally. I oh, stop. Was, I, I really do think it was accidentally. I, I kind of believe that, too. I'm not really? saying he was, like, beating himself up about it. Yeah. I think this Batman has no qualms with the death of... Of otherwise, why would he have grabbed him in the first place? Otherwise, why would he drop the bomb inside of the Axis Chemical? Nah, dude. I, I'm saying uh, I, I, I understand I'm, what I'm, you're I'm, saying. I'm sorry, but in my reading is that he fucking dropped him. Okay, like, he had a cha- like it's it's Batman. This guy hangs upside down when he's fucking sleeping. <laughs> like he couldn't. He he was able to pull up this 160 pound man yeah. who's hanging down there that but he, he just had a burrito mid-air. that day. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty um, good. <laughs> Yeah, but tighten your core, clench your ass, like lift this guy up. But I mean, Batman in general is supposed to have that, you know, staring into the abyss demeanor, where he's always supposed to be on the verge of killing people. Like, I, you know, you never want to have a Batman who's like, yes, they can always give lip service to the idea of no killing or whatever, mm-hmm. but you don't want them to be an actual Boy Scout. And so that's what I think the Burton movies get right, which is that uh, kind of. Alluding to the killing joke, you know, one bad day and this could have turned out much differently. Right. And he could have been an actual uh, awful vigilante who would have just been dropping people left and right. Obviously, that's one moment. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of with Tucson in the sense that I think he just dropped him. Maybe maybe carelessly, like maybe subconsciously. But I don't think it was personally a... It's the, this it, is it's, your fate. It, it, it's the look on his face when he drops it. Yeah, and that, maybe. That, and because Tim Burton famously basically did say that he, A, never read Batman before. Yeah. So it's not like we should necessarily trust his representation as a whole, whatever. But I mean, it, in, in it, this it, film, it, it, it totally works for yeah. me. It because... worked in favor of this film. Um, you were What you were saying before uh, about how there's a difference between this film and Batman Returns. Oh, yeah. I know that we've, we've probably touched on this before, but it bears repeating again in that I feel like the only example that is analogous to to Burton's execution on Batman is Guillermo del Toro's handling of Hellboy, in that I feel like it's similar approaches where you have these two directors that are basically hewing in some of their their idiosyncrasies and eccentricities and sort of like putting them into the mold of a, of a pre-established franchise versus their sequels, the respective sequels, which are them more of like, okay, well enough of that shit. Now it's time for me to make a, a Tim Burton film. I did one for you. Now I'm going to do one for me. Exactly. That's, that's exactly. Although I will still can personally contest the idea that now that I've rewatched this one, I actually do think this is the better film. Mm-hmm. You know, more structurally coherent and just a, you know, whatever, more be- a better cinematic experience. Yeah. However, I still am not on board with the idea that Batman Returns is crazily different from Batman. Mm. I it's, it's, it's not crazily different. I'm just saying it's more explicitly no, a, a I, Burton film. And I agree with it that. It is an Edward Scissorhands but sort of like I Batman. hear people talk about it as if it's like he showed up... With like a, I don't know, with carte blanche. And it's like, well, I think he did in the general sense. You know, he made a hit movie or whatever. I still think it's the same Gotham. People it's are just, just mad the, about the, the kamikaze penguins. The Forget that. I mean, the, the second film literally has a 
caravan of the penguins henchmen going out to kidnap children, which is something that is so far from anything that happens in the first Batman film. The 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 oh, come on the the Founders Day parade with the baby like like uh with the giant floats that spray like toxic nerve gas and oh come on that's just being thing, being though, lifted up the by baby, the Batwing the baby thing in, in Batman Returns yes in yeah. Batman Returns is thematically relevant mm-hmm. to Penguin yeah. so while I agree that that's a darker you know whatever it does fit the villain like Batman. Here's the thing. Batman, the original film, splits the difference between a very good gangster film mm-hmm. and a kind of fun, crazy romp because that's who the Joker is. You know what I mean? He is yeah. either this business... Sometimes I just kill myself. Which he, he literally falls from a ladder. But that's, that's true. <laughs> but he's either A, trying to do business, or B, you know, trying to do anything but business, whatever. Whereas Penguin, he is a... You know, uh, deformed outcast who was literally was given by away Pee-wee Herman. as a baby. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pee Wee Herman's rejecting you. Like that <laughs> says a lot. Like that's gonna fuck you up. Pee Wee Herman actually comes back as uh, Oswald Cobblepot's father in the Gotham series. Wow, that is deep. No, I'm just, you're just something. making me more excited to continue that bad series. Yeah, I, think, I knew as soon as I said that. I, you know, <laughs> I think whatever. I will say though, Robin Lord Taylor, who plays Penguin, is kind of doing the best work on that show. Yeah, like what's that. his name um, from the OC is a horrible Jim Gordon. Yeah, um, and I'll completely cop to that. But Donald Logue as Harvey Bullock and Robin Lord Taylor as uh, Oswald is actually pretty fun. Yeah. So uh, I will say this. Um, the makeup design and also the dialogue in Batman Returns is what always is just, for me, just goes so far off. Uh, and I mean, far di- off from where it started mm-hmm. as in Batman. The makeup design in that film creates... It is grotesque in a way that... I was going to say, it, first... it, it creates, it's almost like a different period in a famous painter, like going from making these paintings that people love and then saying I don't want to fucking do that shit anymore here's depression um, yeah, so, yeah I can see that uh, it, it's just a different feel and there's As, just there's just something about the penguin biting the nose off the guy that just always just I don't know that's <laughs> great yeah <laughs> it, it has the best Catwoman costume and best Catwoman you know portrayal. what I'll say this mm-hmm. the reason why the first movie is a better movie uh, for me at least is because Batman and Joker are the two best characters in that movie. Like yeah. they are the the performances are so great and the writing is pretty great and all the supporting characters are perfect for what they have to be and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I guess the reason why I still love Batman Returns is that that is such a good penguin and catwoman movie. But they're nowhere near as as they're they're nowhere on par to the breakout appeal of the Joker. No, but I'm saying like what they are doing in that movie is such a like Bruce is kind of a sideshow in his own movie. And so I can understand why that's not a great Batman experience. Yeah. But for me, Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito were almost too, just the pussy I've been looking for. Oh my god. It's almost too perfectly casted. <laughs> Which is to say that I think Jack Nicholson is giving a better performance than either one of them, but they are almost 
uncannily exhibiting those characters as we know. And also, too, you have uh, the actual villain of the film, which is Christopher Walken. (laughs) Yeah, who's named after, you know, the guy who played Nosferatu. So, um, you know, it's certainly an indulgent film, but I still think they're kind of cut from the same cloth, even if that cloth has slightly different shades (laughs) and different. I I will disagree is I feel like when I watch the original Batman and watch Batman Returns I'm seeing two completely different films but it's fine that's yeah. alright yeah. Uh, how about Vicky Val getting into the Batcave because you know what she's already been there once so is it really that big of a deal because I gotta tell you I've always been like meh okay I guess so but at the same time already been there Vicky Vale's not dumb she's, <laughs> she's she can put two and two together she knows yeah. who's behind that mask it's really not that good of a disguise if you if you if you've already like sat next to the person and looked at them enough and like yeah you can put two and two together shut the fuck up nick um yeah i i that whole part of it that look that and the jack nip here being batman's parents murderer yeah. Um, that's what people get caught up on with this movie. Yeah. And not saying there's anything bad about this because I fucking love this movie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, if that's your complaint about this, then this is a pretty fucking it, good it movie. It feels like a very pedantic cinema sins like complaint. Feels too. like a little rascals, no women type. Yeah. Because I guarantee you, if he bought uh, bought, if he brought a Robin into the Batcave in the first movie, this is the man cave. People would like, cave. People would have ate that shit up. Whatever. Uh, but I genuinely think it's because he brings a woman that that would be slightly misogynistic. But he brings her in there prior. That's what kills me. Even yeah. though he's wearing the Batman uniform, then okay. Yeah. The Batcave is such a just I, mean, I don't know it's such a different location than the idea that anytime he takes somebody into the Batcave he's usually doing it secretly it's not like they can see through the tinted fucking windows of the Batmobile and they have no idea where they're really going because he goes to 100 miles per hour so no I mean like seriously if you just oh hey talk, is that Wayne Mayer no, where are we going if you, oh. if you talk about it logically which I hate that I'm doing like <laughs> it's not like you know they had Google Maps back then and they're like oh you know what we're turning on to Birch I'm gonna need that cell phone yeah, yeah so I, I just the idea that he would it makes no sense if yeah if he showed up and took her through the front door of Wayne Manor. Yes, that's really weird, and that would not happen. But he'll take anybody. I've seen the Batman versus the Dracula animated movie where he takes the Joker to the Batcave to to you know calm him down. Yeah. And well, they take the Penguin to the Batcave. Right. In I mean, the, the Batcave uh, is supposed Adam to be Batman's place, separate from Bruce Wayne. So right. the idea that anybody goes in there and it's subterranean. Do they the... think that he doesn't have a bat cave? Like, yeah. do they think that he just does this out of no, a but, cardboard but it, box? No, but it's more about that Alfred led her down there yeah. in the second part of it. Alfred yeah. wants him to be happy and in a romantic relationship. Yeah. They have that scene where they're all sitting saying. together, like, chatting in the kitchen. Yeah, like, like yeah. I just, that's pretty and much he a... knows, And he knows that Vicky Val's been there before, yeah. so it's not, like, a big... Oh. Yeah. But no, but if Alfred... the fact that Alfred does it makes it even more sense. Like, it's not like Bruce is like, you know what, come on in here, I want to... And, Al- and Al- Alfred even tells us, like, you know, I'm not really interested in, like, spending the rest of my life mourning after dead friends or their sons. Like, he... Yeah, you're right. He wants him to be happy, and, yeah. like, this one person is able to, like, have a connection to him outside of just his his surface persona right. of, like, Wayne Mariner, but be able to, like, 
deal with and confront and, and, and approach and, him for and, the subterranean. And Alfred is not going to like go up to Bruce and be like in front of Vicky and be like, take off his mask and be like, ha ha ha, now you guys got to fuck. Like, well, no, uh, wow. it, again, I, no, I'm just saying like yeah. he's slightly more conniving and manipulative like that where he's always looking out for his better interest but, in but, the but interest it, that Bruce Wayne will never pursue right. on his own volition. Because he feels like he has to give that up. Yeah. Right. But he still brought her down there when Bruce Wayne was in the Batcave, not Batman. At the same time, though... It doesn't bother me. Yeah, it doesn't. It's it's just... It, it's nitpicky. Yeah. So, what about that amazing final scene of this film? Because there is so much... about the clock tower or the something else? I was talking about the parade okay. uh, oh, for yeah. the 200th anniversary... Uh, which includes the laughably large Big floats, gun. the laughably large, enormous cock gun, yeah. and uh, Batman stealing the balloons, the great Joker line, my balloons. He stole my balloons! Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't anybody tell me I had one of those things? things. And he shoots his fucking right-hand man right yeah. there on the spot. And Thank also that includes... Uh, Batman flying the bat plane up in front of the moon to make the bat symbol, which makes no sense. But this is cool. <laughs> that scene, and then the follow up, which leads to them walking up the obnoxiously long stairway, uh, and then into the final fight between Batman and the Joker. Yeah, that- uh, the, the way that entire scene plays out with the people of Gotham, the Monarch Theater. Uh, and pretty much everything involving the story is pretty much perfect storytelling, in my opinion. I really want someone on YouTube to take the scenes from Batman, uh, which Vicky and the Joker are going up the clock tower, and so is Batman. Set it to the song on Raglan Road by the Dublin Years, so that way when the Joker flies out of the clock tower, you Super cut in Brendan Gleeson landing in Bruges on the pavement in front of Colin Dufero <laughs> as this heroic sacrifice. Oh, my God. Just saying. I think that's also one of the first uh, depictions of the Joker actually dying in a Batman. I thought you were going to say of a clock tower. No. Wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, would you? Yeah, no, Joker yeah, Joker is gone yeah. at the end of this film. Yeah. That's how you know, too, that it's from 1989 because he died. Yeah, they would never let that happen And he happen stayed now. dead, you yeah. know? Like, it's not like... I mean, if Heath Ledger, um, obviously, you know... Had not lived, passed away in real life. Right. He would have been in that third movie. There's a lot of connections to the actual ending of The Dark Knight and this, though. I mean, him yeah. just flying off the building... But he was going to um, be in the third movie. Understood. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's got to be an homage to the... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this Batman universe always killed the villains. True. Pretty much. True. Other than Mr. Freeze, uh, which that movie was uh, in its own universe. <laughs> yeah. uh, all of the villains, for the most part, were killed off in these films. Which is so. more true. Well, I guess not killed off. So I guess that is kind of a stark in- departure. Because usually the rogues gallery is like they always get away type thing. So, yeah, yeah that is kind of interesting. I didn't think about that. Because, um, yeah, the Penguin does die. Um, Two-Face does in Two-Face, Batman Forever. Yeah. So. It is interesting that they're... Yeah. Huh, I didn't think about that. That's kind of mm. weird. It is, but in a the, good way. But at like, the same time, it makes sense for the medium again. Oh yeah. So, but it, it's kind of weird in the sense that 
we're living in 2018, and that just doesn't happen. For the most part, no. I mean, in like the MCU, what what, what villains have been? I mean, the original I mean, conf- Iron Man villain? Confirm death. Like, that is rare. You know what I mean? Like, people, quote-unquote, perish. But you take something that's, like, even mediocre and not great, like a movie like X-Men Apocalypse... If they ever made another X-Men movie and Apocalypse came back, they wouldn't, like, think twice about that because that's just how this happens. Warmonger's dead. Yeah. 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 That's okay. Yeah. It's probably fine. Anything else before we get into the final thoughts? Um, I think that's it. But, yeah. I'm going to go first. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, it's been a weird week for me. Uh, (laughs) I I like Batman a lot, and I especially like... Killmonger, by the way. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a good try. I was... Yep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I genuinely love this film. Um, Yay! And so so I'm uh, excited to rewatch a few others. I did watch for the very first time Batman Forever, which I just want to go on the record and say is a very fun movie and is not a guilty pleasure. That is a... Uh, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but Batman, as we know it, with Keaton and Nicholson, is such a wonderful uh, live-action adaptation in which it not only takes Batman seriously as a mythos and as a character and, and Gotham as a city, but it also kind of... It's weird to think that Tim Burton had never read Batman or just didn't quite love Batman because... Mm-hmm. Seems he, like some kind of shit that would be totally up his alley. Yeah, and it also seems like he kind of nailed most aspects. For one thing, like the fact that this is basically 50% a gangster film. I think he doth protest too much. Yeah, that's true. But the fact that this is most like half a gangster film, like that's pretty accurate. That's Batman in in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Like he's usually, even though he's fighting a rogue gallery of garish characters, Mm -hmm. it's usually about. Usually in the background, that is distracting from the fact that Gotham is taken over by the gangsters, mm-hmm. not these uh, larger-than-life supervillains. So yeah. I love the way that this film interweaves both of those kind of conflicts um, to the point where they both connect but also feel like they're their own disparate threads in a very organic way. Yeah, and the villains have always felt as though they were, if not explicitly as a result of Batman's intervention, they are reactionary to sort of the same material conditions which gave birth to the to 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 batman himself yeah if not in the same location but rather in the same sort of universe absolutely like the crime bosses were always going to fight each other but if you're going to go against batman you need people as messed up in the head as bruce wayne fucking capitalism man fuck and that's capitalism. where the Joker comes from in the Christopher Nolan yeah. Yeah. universe is that they would have just gone on being mob bosses, but instead this fucking clown shows up and starts murdering people. So yep. Sure yeah. does. Sure does. So I give this a four out of five. Woo. The last time I watched it, I think I gave it a three out of five, and I'm honestly thinking that I could very much raise my rating the next time I watch it. It's It's one of those where... Watching it, I was kind of blown away by how good everything in this film, from the set dressing to the acting. And I just... it One thing I love over the Nolan film, and that's why I think Burton's live adapt, uh, live action, both of them for me, mm-hmm. uh, adaptation will always be my favorite live action, is that 
he kind of understands Gotham as a city, both mm-hmm. how it looks, but also how it operates. Yeah. Um, the way Crime Alley is just this, you know, street amongst all this other larger organized crime and how this all feeds into each other. Uh, I feel like as much as I now actually do appreciate the Nolan Batman films, uh, only Burton quite got that right. And I really I, got the type, the topography of, yes. of Gotham. And I absolutely love that. So yeah. it's four out of five for me. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've already like said everything that I need to say on this film, but I will add like one last thing that like sort of ties it off. Like I can think back to maybe the earliest time that I saw this film and I can remember the feeling of not knowing who Batman was. And that is something that you can just never sort of replicate after, after the the joy of having having read these these sort of comics and these stories and seeing these television shows and seeing the movies like this this will always be who you compare what your reading of batman is right, to right right exactly and 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 to be able to go back in time and to, to in, in in order to just think about like what is it like to to experience batman and not know the full dynamic of who that character is it's scary it's exciting it's the sort of thing that i have not seen in any sort of property since like batman year 100 which is another comic that i'm going to recommend nick uh read because it is definitely one of my favorites which comic it's called batman year 100 oh yeah oh year 100 okay yeah year 100 um yeah so just to tie this off this is this is my standard of what I think is a five out of five film. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a five out of He's five. Done this, it. this this film Ooh. like it changed my life. Um, so I have I have to give it that. So. so the listeners don't know this, but Toussaint does wear a cape every day. Like he doesn't actually go out in public without one. And I think we just heard you know like where that may have stemmed from. So it's it's crazy to get like an insight into the life and mind of Toussaint. Yep. <laughs> just, just admits to it. Yeah, okay. whatever. Fuck five it. out of five. Fuck yeah. it. Five out of five. Uh, okay. I'm sorry, I just stepped out of skate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, even though there are better films made out there, this is a fucking masterpiece for me. Uh, everything regarding the characters in this film is, for the most part, perfect. And every time I go back and watch this, I like it even more, even though I liked it as much as I possibly could the time before. Uh, This is a 5 out of 5 film for me. It is in my top 12 of all time. Uh, And even though I probably prefer The Dark Knight as a better film overall than this, uh, this is one of the most definitive movies of my early life. Can I ask you a quick question? Sure. Comparing something like the first Batman and something like The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. if you consider The Dark Knight to be a better film that you enjoy watching more than barely, basically, than this one, mm-hmm. do you think, or is this completely tied up in the same opinion, do you think that one is better at being a Batman property? Um, I think there's... It's... Or they, they each have much, their own. Yeah. They, they have okay. their own. They're reasons too different why they're to better. really say why. Okay. I think the Dark Knight is better at being what Batman is supposed to be, where Batman is better being what it wants to be. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
I just randomly wanted that. No, and they're both really high up on my all-time favorite list. I was going to say, the distinction between that kind of thing is very arbitrary. Yeah. So The and fact that you love both of them is kind of insane, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but like that two visionaries could take the same property and come up with something, two different things that are that good is pretty awesome. And it is interesting because even though I wasn't really there for the theater run of the original Batman, I obviously jumped on to everything. But uh, The Dark Knight is one of the few films in my life that I would consider a theater phenomenon. Yeah, I will admit uh, that. That, um, that is a film that everybody saw when it was out in its initial run. And can I interject really quick? Because... Mm-hmm. I've already said it on this podcast. I'm different than you two in the sense that yeah. I never watched any of the 90s Batman movies. You came to this late. I came and to I, it and very I, and late. And I'll say that I, I don't mean to say that in a in, no. a, in a judgmental or, I mean, or dickish sort of way. No, but, but I just know that there are, there are those who would, and I, and I, I don't want to emulate. That's the no. kind of yeah. – But – um, the, my mo- like the most exposure I ever had to any of the four because I always, as a kid, saw them as like four movies because I had no idea, obviously, who like a Tim Burton or a Schumacher was. I just mm-hmm. saw four covers and you know whatever. But I had a friend who was obsessed with all four movies when mm-hmm. we were young, and so they were always on when we were like playing and whatnot. So it's like I always saw them, but I never actually watched them. Now, as someone who still, as you know, young lad. I never, he was like the only friend I had that was like super into Batman at the time. So when the Dark Knight came out, especially because one had already come out, I mean, a Batman Begins, which I saw on the drive in. Batman theater, Begins was a little bit under the radar. It was. Yeah. So the idea when I sat down to watch the midnight showing of the Dark Knight, which is also weird because Batman Begins was under the radar, so I'm trying to figure out why there even was a midnight showing, but it was all the rage. Of the Dark Knight? Yeah. It was because of Heath Ledger's death. Did he die before the movie came yeah. out? Yeah, it was one of the catapulting forces about of that. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember if he died like just before or just like after. No, it was just before. eight months prior. Oh. It was a while. Yeah. Wow. It was right okay. after that. So my whole timeline of that. So yeah. okay, I, that is interesting then. That kind of makes a little more sense then. He was working on the Imaginarium of Dr. Panossus. Oh, that's right, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> but sitting down to watch the midnight showing of a property that I just never really cared for at that time, I will admit, even if I'm not super high on the Nolan films, the moment I watched The Dark Knight with that theater in a midnight showing was one of the biggest time. Like, I felt like I was watching Titanic when that came out. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, because I... I was alive, but I wasn't able to go see Titanic when that came out. So that was like one of the biggest theater experiences for myself because I actually felt like I was witnessing a rebirth of a character that now people talk about ad nauseum. Yeah, well, and I think Heath Ledger's performance for the most part is like the mirror image of of Jack Nichols' performance is that it's completely different, but at the same time, it's great. Um and that just fit right into that film universe. And yeah. God, there are so many. We obviously hit on it on the episode we talked about the Dark Knight, and uh, when we talked about the trilogy. But at the same time, there there are so many great things about that film that don't revolve around the Joker because the Joker makes things happen in that film, but 
he's not like Jack Nicholson in Batman, where he is, for the most part, a major player in the film. He's on screen for like 11 and a half minutes in that film, and he just creates this marionette of things that happen around Gotham City, which is fascinating. Do you guys realize we've talked about eight movies in which Batman appears? Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, um, he's been in a lot of movies. He has. In fact, uh, I would say, I would venture to say he is probably, uh, in terms of like just total appearances, probably the highest in our lifetime. Oh, yeah. I'm laughing because we're not there yet, but I thought that was your really random way to segue into our what we're going to talk about next week. I'm like, I don't think Batman's in that movie. No. <laughs> I was like, where are you going No, with that, that's okay. Uh, anyways, it's a five out of five for me for the original Batman. So many fantastic lines, so many great moments, and so much about the 1989 Batman film that uh, created the way I digest and enjoy films and that's why it is one of my favorite films of all time and why i give it a five out of five rating if you have any thoughts on batman or really uh any batman property feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com as we would love to hear them now getting to next week's episode uh it is a very different film that we're reviewing i would say a bit different not not that it's some that we don't do films that are different, but this film uh, seems like it has the potential to be either great or awful, and that is. I'm just exciting. glad I'm seeing it by myself without you guys before I go see it. Oh, you're you afraid guys. that you're going to have a neon demon moment again. I'm mostly kidding, but also it does feel like it's in that kind of sure. realm where it's either Absolutely. like it's so committed to what it's doing that it's either laughable or it's great. Yeah, yeah. could be both. It could be, yeah. actually. Yeah. So we are talking about the Nicolas Cage, Andrew Risenborough film. I was about to say The Neon Demon. <laughs> but uh, Mandy is the film. Which uh, we all D. know is an adaptation of the Rod Stewart song. That's Rod a deep Stewart. cut. That's a deep cut. Oh. I went I, over my head. I thought, you, was, I thought you were going to say it's Barry Manilow, but that's okay. Wait, maybe that's what I Are you thinking about Barry Manilow? Yeah, that's what okay, I, I was going to say. Like the same Rod Stewart? Christ. They're, they're the same white dude in my head. <laughs> Oh, Mandy. Yeah, that's what I would say. Okay, Barry Manilow. That's all right. Anyways, and we're planning... I, I'm sorry, but yeah. I love that Toussaint was saying that that's a deep cut when, unfortunately, it, it wasn't. Was the wrong... It was not a cut yeah. whatsoever. I didn't know I didn't know who that was. <laughs> that's so deep, it actually doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> would have kept on going if I wouldn't have said anything. Sure. So we're planning to have one of our friends join us for that episode, which is Sam. Uh, her last episode was when we talked about that amazing Jurassic World sequel really? uh, earlier this summer. So I forgot she was on that, which was not a slight against her, just that I don't really remember anything about that movie or anything associated with that movie. I actually just she... listened back to that episode, and it's yeah. great. We both, we all fucking hated it. Yeah, it's not a good movie. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Uh, no, we all, we all went to Hollywood Palms to see it. And oh, that's true. Yeah, I do remember that had that very that fun experience where Toussaint was just giggling to himself the whole time and him and Sam were just talking for the whole movie and nobody cared. No, <laughs> so. no. I, because we were doing, you know, this episode tonight, the, the, when you said Sam, I just instantly thought of Beetlejuice because she was on that episode. Oh, yeah. That, and was, that was obviously a precursor to this. Yeah. I want to say she also joined us on the... Batman uh, Returns? She didn't uh, join us on Batman Returns. I was going to say she joined us on the previous episodes of Jurassic World, which was Hereditary. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. So that's she right. was... She was 
on a lot of episodes early in the summer. She's been on some of our best episodes. You know what? In recent memory. Maybe we should. Maybe we should just let her be on all of the episodes, and we should just leave because yeah. she's the best part. Sam, you're going to talk to yourself. Yeah, that's right. We do have the running gag when she's on here that um, somebody's knocking at the door, which is very interesting. <laughs> so, anyways, that is something to look forward to <laughs> yeah, on our next gag. episode. Yeah, yeah, the old film tank gag. Yeah, it's like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but not because that was a successful television show. So. Thank you again to Toussaint Egan and Nick Cheney. From myself, Alex Diekman, and my two friends. Thank you very much for listening to us here on Film Tank. We will be catching up with you next time. We are the night.